We're beginning a series today called Our Holy Helper as we focus on the Holy Spirit. Pastor Brian reflects on this topic from a book he read some time ago called The Forgotten God, Reversing Our Tragic Neglect of the Holy Spirit. Here's something the author said. From my perspective, the Holy Spirit is tragically neglected and, for all practical purposes, forgotten. While no evangelical would deny his existence, there are millions of churchgoers across America who cannot confidently say they've experienced his presence or action in their lives over the past year, and many of them do not believe they can. Another author believes evangelicals generally fall into one of two extremes. Some seem obsessed with him, relating to him in strange, mystical ways. Their experiences with the Spirit seem to coincide with emotionally ecstatic moments. Other Christians react to that perceived excess by neglecting his ministry altogether. They believe in the Holy Spirit, but they relate to him the same way they relate to the pituitary gland. They know it's in there somewhere and that it's necessary somehow for bodily growth and life, but have no real interaction with it. Welcome to On Mission, the preaching ministry of Edgewood Baptist Church in Rock Island. When we gather together, we meet on 38th Street. And when we're scattered, we strive to live on mission all over the Quad Cities area. Let's acknowledge that we are on holy ground as we consider the Holy Spirit. Every time we say His name, we acknowledge He is holy and weighty and honorable. We echo one author who wrote, No subject intimidates me more, yet I can't think of anything more essential for God's church everywhere. Here's our main idea. If you've been born of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is your holy helper, who will always be with you while doing His work within you. If you have been saved, when you're feeling alone or abandoned, remember you have a comforter in heaven as Jesus intercedes for you, and you have a comforter in your heart as the Holy Spirit advocates for you. Listen now to part one of this message called, Who the Holy Spirit Is. Before getting to the meat of the message, Pastor Brian spent some time honoring his dad. Romans 13, 7 says, Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Kavad is the Hebrew word for honor, and it literally means a heavy weight. It implies that we assign the greatest possible weight to a person in terms of respect by holding them in high regard. And so to honor someone is to consider them to be weighty, to be heavy, to esteem them highly. On the other hand, to dishonor means to treat someone as if they were light or insignificant. To honor is to treat someone with distinction. To dishonor is to treat someone like dirt. Well, I had the honor of being raised by a man of honor. My dad served in the United States Army, and he was stationed at Warner Barracks in Bamberg, Germany from 1955 to 1957. And this past weekend, my dad, along with 87 other heroes, received the honor of traveling to Washington, D.C. as part of the Badger Honor Flight, and I had the privilege of serving as his guardian on that trip. 
I uh, wrote more about this and actually recorded a podcast. If you want to learn more about what that trip was like, uh, you can get to that from our Edgewood 4G podcast on our website. So we visited Arlington National Cemetery. We witnessed the changing of the Guard, the Marine Corps Memorial, the Korean War Memorial, the Vietnam Veterans Memorial, the Lincoln Memorial, the World War II Memorial, the FDR Memorial, and the 9-11 Memorial at the Pentagon all in one day. Unfortunately, many vets have not received that honor or the honor that they are due, especially those who served in Vietnam. And I'm thankful for the efforts of the honor flights, which operate out of 126 hubs, including the Quad Cities, in 46 states. To date, more than a quarter million vets have been honored in this way. The honoring of my dad started the day before when my wife, Beth, two of our daughters, we have four daughters, two of our daughters, Becca and Megan, a son-in-law, Lucas, three grandchildren, Dean, Ren, and Mac, and four, my four sisters, Kathy, Jean, Mary, and Beth, other family members and friends gathered at the Mission Barbecue in Madison for lunch. You see, I had arranged to have my dad's picture put up on the wall in this restaurant, and he had no clue. And so I said, hey, Dad, before we go on the honor flight on Saturday, how about if me and our, my sisters and my wife and some others gather, and let's just go to Mission Barbecue? It's about 40 minutes from where he lives. He was up for it. His only question was, do they have good brisket? <laughs> and I said, yes, they do. So we were in line, my dad and I first, and I was getting ready to pay for his lunch, and the manager paid for his lunch and my lunch and because he's a vet, and then he went over to get something to drink, and, and then he looked back toward me, and I said, hey, Dad, why don't you go sit in the corner? <laughs> and he kind of laughed. You're making me sit in the corner? Well, he sat right here with no clue that picture was right next to him, and it was such a joy to see him find his picture taken when he was 19 years old up on that wall. It's also very moving if you've ever been to that restaurant Uh, At noon, everybody stands, including the workers, and they sing the national anthem. And that was just so, yeah. So then on Saturday, just some highlights. uh, Our other two daughters, Emily and Lydia, live in Virginia. And along with their husbands, Matt and Jamie, and their children, our grandchildren, my dad's great-grandchildren, Pip, Ezra, Simeon, Simeon, and Ruby, surprised my dad by showing up at the Lincoln Memorial. He had no clue they were going to be there. He was just blown away by all the memorials and all the ways that he was honored. And I remember we're walking in front of the Lincoln Memorial and the four grandkids ran up to him and kind of held on to his legs. And at first, he didn't even know who they were. (laughs) And then our daughters came up and gave him a hug and then it clicked. We got to spend about an hour together uh, at three of the memorials. 
When we got off the plane in Washington, D.C., he was emotionally ambushed by the reception he received. He was not prepared for this at all. Uh, People whom he had never met before, uh, shaking his hand, congratulating him, and just celebrating the service of all these vets. That's my dad right there. And it was really interesting. This is really the first time people were shaking his hand. As the day went on, he was going up to people he had never met before and shaking their hand. (laughs) That meant a lot to him. Uh, We went to the changing of the guard and I found out that my dad's brother, Bob, served as a sentinel at the tomb of the unknown soldier, get this, 70 years ago. So my dad had this look on his face I had never seen before. And it's very moving if you've ever been there, but there was something else going on. And that's when I found out that when my dad was 17, he drove out to the tomb of the unknown soldier with his parents to see his older brother do that. And my dad said, nothing has changed in that ceremony. It's the same as it was then. He was overcome with emotion. I didn't think it could get any better. But then when we took off from Washington, D.C. to head back to Madison... One of the volunteers who organized this flight got on the loudspeaker and said these words, mail call. (laughs) And all these vets received packets filled with letters and cards. My dad received 70 letters and cards. He started opening them when we were going up, coming out of D.C., And he read his last one as we were descending into Madison. And here's a picture of him reading one of those cards. By the way, several Edgewood members wrote notes to my dad. And he'd pick up a note and he goes, who's this? And I said, well, that's a vet from Edgewood that heard you were going and wanted to write that note. And he'd say that five or six times. Who's this? Another person from Edgewood. So thank you. When we landed at the Madison Airport, there were, we were told, 3,000 people there to welcome the vets home. Um, Beth was there, all four of my sisters, other family members and friends of my dad. Patriotic music and banners and active duty personnel were escorting these vets. Here's a picture. These are all my family members, although I'm not sure I don't recognize some of them, but I think they're part of my family. <laughs> So friends, here's what I learned being on that flight. We need to do a better job honoring our vets, not just on a weekend set aside for us to do that. But I'm also convinced that we must do a better job as believers of honoring the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. I was reminded of some findings from the Edgewood State of Theology survey. Most of us took that survey. 650 results were tallied. And the first one that came to my mind, I I was very grateful for this result. 99% of us believe there's one true God existing in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. However... We have some work to do because, well, 13% of us believe the Holy Spirit is a force, not a personal being. 7% of us are just not sure. 
Now, thankfully, these results are much better than how Christians across the nation scored when nearly 60% stated the Holy Spirit is a force and 15% are not certain. Well, I'm going to take some responsibility for these results. Because frankly, I've not preached much about the Holy Spirit. Now, when we went through the book of Acts verse by verse, it took us two years, we certainly celebrated the work of the Holy Spirit. You cannot read a chapter in the book of Acts without seeing what the Holy Spirit was doing. But to my chagrin, I've only devoted a few messages to the Holy Spirit in the past 10 years. But we're changing that right now. Because our focus today is on who the Holy Spirit is. Next weekend, we'll tackle what the Holy Spirit does. And then in two weeks, we'll learn how to walk by the Holy Spirit. I want to acknowledge the help I've received on this topic. Some of you know uh, Pastor Rich Kraft. For years, he pastored at Homewood Evangelical Free Church. Uh, Rich has been teaching a class here on Wednesday mornings. He's actually two classes, a class on the book of Nehemiah, another class on the Holy Spirit, and he graciously gave me all his notes. By the way, Rich suffered a stroke uh, two and a half weeks ago. He's now home and slowly regaining his strength. This topic, the topic of the Holy Spirit, brings to mind a book I read some time ago that I went over again this past week. The title says it all, The Forgotten God, Reversing Our Tragic Neglect of the Holy Spirit. And here's something the author said, from my perspective, the Holy Spirit is tragically neglected and for all practical purposes forgotten. While no evangelical would deny his existence, there are millions of churchgoers across America who cannot confidently say that they have experienced his presence or action in their lives over the past year, and many of them do not believe they can. Another author believes evangelicals generally fall into one of two extremes. So the first one, some seem obsessed with the Holy Spirit, relating to him in strange, often mystical ways. Their experiences with the Spirit seem to coincide with emotionally ecstatic moments. Well, on the other extreme, Christians react to that perceived excess by, well, by neglecting his ministry altogether. They believe in the Holy Spirit, but as one author says, they relate to him the same way they relate to their pituitary gland. (laughs) They know it's in there somewhere and that it's necessary somehow for bodily growth and life, but have no real interaction with it. Well, let's just be honest and admit something today. Many Baptists fall in this second category. You see, there's no doubt the Holy Spirit is the most misunderstood, the most ignored, and the most forgotten member of the Trinity. This week, I was out in the community working on this sermon, and I ran into a close friend who pastors a charismatic church, and I asked him what he would say to a Baptist pastor starting a sermon series on the Holy Spirit. He just started smiling. He started laughing. 
First, he said, well, I'm delighted that you're preaching on the Holy Spirit. And then he said, do you want my sarcastic answer or a real answer? I said, bring them both on. And so here's his first. He told me that for many in Baptist circles, the Trinity is often understood as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. Yeah, he laughed. I didn't laugh so much at that one. And then he reminded me what Jesus said to the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. My pastor friend smiled and he said, he said that I could perhaps teach him about worshiping in truth and he could teach me about worshiping in spirit. Actually, we need to have both spirit and truth because here we see they're married together. We're going to be in John chapter 14, two verses today, verses 16 and 17. Feel free to turn there, use your mobile app. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, take that Bible as our gift to you. Let's put the text into context. Jesus has just announced that he's leaving the disciples. They've been doing life with him for three years, and they think they have a good thing going on. And Jesus announces to them, he's about to leave. Well, they're disappointed. It's even stronger than that. They're distraught. They're unsettled. They're stirred up. And three of the disciples put into words what the others are thinking. In chapter 13, verse 36, Peter says, Lord, where are you going? In chapter 14, verse 5, Thomas echoed, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And that comes right before that beautiful verse, verse 6. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Philip then adds in verse 8, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. So his closest followers were extremely unsettled. So the Savior spent three chapters telling them what was going to happen after he left, specifically teaching them about the Holy Spirit, John 14, John 15, and John 16. I encourage you to read those three chapters in preparation for next week. Now, let's stand and read these words inspired by the Holy Spirit as we lean on the Spirit to teach us who the Holy Spirit is. And so Jesus wants them to know, even though he's leaving They will not be left alone. Let's start in verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. 
You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. If you could stay standing, uh, one of my favorite devotionals is called The Valley of Vision. It's a collection of prayers written by Puritans and put together in a book. And there's a prayer that's focused on the Trinity, and it would be good for us now to give our attention to it. The danger is that we just say the words, but let's say the words, but actually turn this into a prayer as we walk through it. Let's pray together as we say these words together. Three in one, one in three, God of my salvation, heavenly Father, blessed Son, eternal Spirit, we adore you as one being, one essence, one God in three distinct persons. Oh, Father, you have loved us and sent Jesus to redeem us. Oh, Jesus, you have loved us and took our nature, the nature of a man, shed your own blood to wash away our sins, wrought righteousness to cover our unworthiness. Oh, Holy Spirit, You have loved us and entered our hearts, implanted there eternal life, revealed to us the glories of Jesus, three persons and one God. We bless and praise you for love so undeserved, so unspeakable, so wondrous, so mighty to save the lost and raise them to glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, before we continue, I want us to acknowledge something. We are on holy ground as we consider the Holy Spirit. So don't tune out. Don't entertain thoughts that are going to zip through your mind during the message. We have the joy and the honor of taking a look at the third member of the Trinity. And every time we say his name, we're reminded he is holy. And that should get our attention. And as we go through these two verses, open yourself up to the Holy Spirit's work in your life as he takes his word, as he teaches us as our teacher, helps us understand what it means, and then to apply it to our lives so that we worship during the sermon. You see, he's holy, he's weighty, and he's honorable. I wrote down a question this week in my notes. How can I, as a sinful human, preach on the sacred topic of the Holy Spirit of God? I mean, I echo one author who said it like this, no subject intimidates me more, yet I can't think of anything more essential for God's church everywhere. Here's our main idea. If you've been born of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is your holy helper who will always be with you while doing his work within you. We can see seven vital truths about the Holy Spirit from these two verses. Number one, the Holy Spirit is God, and he's the third member of the Trinity. Well, let's begin by making an observation. This is a prayer, verse 16. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another Helper. Notice the entire Trinity is depicted here. Jesus asked the Father to give the Spirit of truth to his followers. Both the Father and the Son are active in sending the Spirit. 
One author captures it well. The Holy Spirit is not a lesser or different kind of being than God the Father or God the Son. The Spirit is God. The words Spirit and God are used interchangeably in the New, are often used interchangeably in the New Testament. When we forget about the Spirit, we really are forgetting God. In 1905, 40 charter members of Edgewood got together and they made a covenant together. Part of that covenant was to take the gospel to their neighbors and to the nations. And over the years, under the leadership of phenomenal pastors, Edgewood has put together articles of faith. This is what we believe as a church. Our articles of faith are biblical. They're robust. And listen to how the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, is described in the Articles of Faith, that in the unity of the Godhead, there are three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Every word in this next sentence is so important. Equal in every divine perfection and executing distinct but harmonious offices in the great work of redemption. Thanks for joining us for On Mission. If you'd like to listen to this message again, you can now download episodes on Apple Podcasts or Spotify by going to edgewoodbaptist.net. We'd love to have you as a guest at one of our three weekend services, Saturday at 5 or Sunday at 9 or 1045. My name is Matt Williams, and I'm a member of Edgewood. Ethan Curry, also an Edgewood member, is serving as the producer of this program. We look forward to connecting with you again next weekend as we learn more about how to live on mission. Until then, go deep in God's Word and keep applying it to your world. On Mission is furnished by Edgewood Baptist in Rock Island, Illinois.